Hi everyone, welcome to Doing Good, the podcast. My name is Susanna. And I'm Elijah. This is the podcast in which us and our parents share the stories of the good things that people are doing in our community and the people that make those good things happen. So it's actually mostly our parents just sitting here and we have to wait to talk until they tell us to, but we have some really good insight and we're actually the funny ones. So definitely stay and listen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Doing Good, the podcast. This is episode number three. Uh, Great to have you here. My name is Josh, my dear friend, Dr. Becky Powers. Uh, And waiting in the wings, not just right beside of us, our two uh, teenagers. By the way, as we welcome you in and say uh, we're excited about this episode, I, I thought in the first episode that we probably should specify that you and I are not married. Uh, we we talk about you know like we're talking about our show and our teens. This is your teen daughter and my teen son, but we're like family. We we, we are really also. Right? I, I I had someone tell me, "Is that your wife?" I said, "I said, well, it's my podcast wife." <laughs> we are also oh, not married. No, in case anyone married. was wondering, no, sixteen year olds. Sixteen, also not yeah, married. no, no, sixteen. I, did I start it on an awkward moment? I was just like, so, I don't. I, 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 Okay. So yeah. well, we're I mean, we yes. not married to each other. You're right. Yes. As we're becoming aware, <laughs> to leave it to dad to start at an awkward moment. So this is my teenage son, Elijah. Yes. And your teenage daughter, Susanna. Who have known each other since birth. Since birth. And I think important to say, for those of you tuning in from around the planet, I got to know you because of their births. You were our- Yes. You we were are so special. important. You are our recruited pediatrician. Yes. And uh, and 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 if you had told me sixteen and a half years ago uh, that we'd be hosting a podcast together with all four of us, I because never we're BFF, we're BFFs. We, yeah. we are yeah. somewhere between friends and family. Yeah, I would like to call it closer to family, uh, and especially Agreed. so that just moments before we started recording this, your another daughter of yours, yes, Katie's here, who's. Uh, 14 going on 48. Yeah, but Katie's um, our Katie's kind of our technical kind of person. She's interested in the sound setup and the actual mechanics of recording. She made she brought up and made an effort. <laughs> she identified something you just said a moment ago, which is oh, we're dropping a pod. Yeah. <laughs> dropping a pod. <laughs> Katie thought that was so funny that her mom is now using terminology like we're dropping a pod. That's the right. Uh, let's ask our executive producer Layton about that. That's the right terminology to use, right? That's, we're <laughs> dropping a pod. We're dropping a pod. We're dropping a pod on the first of the fifteenth. She goes, of "Did you month. just say we're dropping a pod, Mom?" Yeah, <laughs> I'm so hip and with it. <laughs> so hip and so with so it. So hip and so moving with on. It. <laughs> that should be that should be the Awkward title of the two. episode. No so hip and, and with, so it. with it. We're going to talk to Rhonda Paulson in a moment. Yes, who, who Rhonda. Who's doing truly something that is so amazing and so good. Right. That you said when we first thought we should do this podcast, Rhonda should be literally one of our first guests. Absolutely. Because when I think of somebody who has taken a project from the ground up. From a thought. Yes. To a reality. And not just a local reality. She has Isaiah houses going up. All over the country, literally, yeah. and this and last week they were just in Indiana opening, I think, two or three different Isaiah houses in different counties, and you know, as a pediatrician, the work that they're doing is so important. Um, uh, and we'll let Rhonda talk with uh, about that herself, but mm-hmm. you know, she is actually the first name that popped into my head mm-hmm. when I thought. 
I'm going to do a podcast about people who are doing good in the communities. She was among the first. Yeah. You know, as I was thinking about this day, I thought, what? Uh, okay, what, what am I doing good today? Sure. <laughs> okay. We're hoping this is the thought that it prompts. Right. But that can be a convicting moment because the answer I had was the do good I'm doing today is I'm organizing my ties. Oh, okay. Well, okay. you know, you're probably uh, donating some ties. I'm donating a few. So you're helping the professional image of somebody else in the world. So in my job, I have to wear ties. Every day. Elijah, can you estimate how many ties you think I have? Oh, I'd say. And this is not a flex because no. many of them are beyond ugly. No, no. Many of them are extremely ugly. But, yeah. Um, and should be thrown uh, away. At least 50. Are you out of your mind? 50? I, more than that. I think it's way more than that. It's convicting. It, it, I don't know. I, I haven't seen all of them. I don't know, though, because if I were a guy and I had to wear a tie every day. And I do. And I, uh, and you, we all know that I am a notorious shopper. Um, you? And have had at times actual, probably diagnosable problems. Are you? Wait a shopping. minute. Wait a minute. You, I'm sorry. You, Suzanne, is that an accurate? Yes. That's all I have to say. Yes. <laughs> um, and um, if I were you, I would probably have a thousand different ties. Well. Easy. I mean, I would probably have to have my own, like, two-car garage full of ties. The most good I'm doing, you know, as I was thinking about Rhonda, was, was she's, like, helping children across the country as I'm organizing my ties. That's kind of a convicting moment. But uh, I'm doing my good, yeah. you know. Well, and I don't know. I was really entertained yesterday because my um, soon-to-be 10-year-old uh -huh. um, was sitting there saying, what can I do that's good for the community so that I can be on the podcast? <laughs> I want access to your 100 listeners. And I thought of 113. Listeners. She yeah. wants access. And I thought to myself, you know, here's this 10-year-old thinking of things that she can actually do to help others. Oh, boom. That's it. Right. And so, and, and, and yeah, it was just mostly so she could talk into a microphone on the podcast. Mm -hmm. But um, but it's still, it's it, you know, I don't know that, I think the end justifies the means. Mm -hmm. If that's what it takes. Yeah. So, yeah. Have you, has this inspired thoughts among you, teenage podcast hosts? I think my youngest sister is... A bit crazy, but <laughs> your youngest sister is a performer. She is quite the performer. Um, Millie is a joy. Oh yes, yes, Sometimes. she is. <laughs> that was not sarcastic power. at all. No, and not. Elijah, your youngest sister, who's somewhat of a Millie peer, is uh, uh, considers her a BFF. Yes, uh, yeah, they're good friends. She's a. A performer yeah. in your life as well. Oh, she that is. brings you yeah. constant joy. The constant, constant, constant joy. Now, okay, but but seriously, I mean, has it sparked you guys to start looking around, kind of with more of a, a more of a um, aware eye? <gasps> Are you woke to this subject? <laughs> yeah. Well, because now we have, um, we now we have an image to, you know, we can't, you can't have um, people that don't do good on a podcast called doing good. So yeah, well, this is I wouldn't know, that would be the most interesting podcast is the, I have a group of complete rogues yeah. doing a yes. podcast about like doing this. good. That, yeah. that can be like a they approach it. Not like, episode, yeah. well, you know, we could, we drop a podcast on the first and 15th, right? Okay, on right. April fool's day, we could have the doing bad episode. Doing oh. bad. We could feature it. <laughs> it might okay. be too soon, and but you've we may just as well. Talked about how, the how local news. news. Yeah. <laughs> That's a broadcast about people's, 
screwing up. Doing bad. Doing bad, the podcast. Starring your husband, the Prince of Darkness. No, 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 no. Oh, honey, I'm sorry that you got referred to as the Prince of Darkness again on the podcast. Love you, Dad. Which is remarkable because he is the flip opposite of the Prince. That's why it's funny. Well, most of the time. If he was actually the Prince. You see, that's the joke, yeah. Uh, Right. If he was actually the Prince of Darkness, then that would have been awkward yeah that would have been because which brings me back to you not being my my wife yeah no she's not wife i was uh, that threw me for a minute i was sorry, like sorry sorry i thought it was pretty clear we weren't married you bring up a good point it's hard to host a podcast called doing good and spend your life not you know you, it makes you think and that was the moment of me with my ties going what am i doing yeah and and you know I guess self-evaluation hopefully is something that'll come up once we talk to Rhonda is that because she's just somebody who was just like doing life. And all of a sudden, as we're going to find out, I believe she sees this boom, this need. Right. Because there's so many different ways to do good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Good can be if you if you're in a place where um, you're not able to help other people because you haven't first been able to help yourself then the most good that you can do is just simply to improve yourself and help yourself that way that you can um, eventually help others. That's mm. really cool. That's a cool mm. insight. And, you know, I read something yesterday that kind of floored me. I do this periodically. Like you read something and it just sort of was like, Boom. holy mm-hmm. cow, that's like a big giant truth bomb. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it said, and it was talking about people taking care of themselves. And they say, uh, and, and the quote was something to the effect of people who think that they're worth something, take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm. I know. And I was mm. like. Wow, I think that's really true. So all these people who make these horrible choices that do things that harm themselves and they know they're harming themselves, is it really kind of a soul deep sort of just don't think they're worth taking care of themselves? Well, let's go to the teenage girl at the table, a uh, teenage young woman at the table. Do you feel like that's true? Yeah, you see I can it? honestly see that in peers around me. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so it's a total truth bomb, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I was floored by that. And so I was thinking, wow, maybe we need to spend some time helping people to understand their worth. Their worth. So that they can make better choices and ultimately we can have a healthier, happier world. That's one of the most important parts of um, any type of rehabilitation or um, the building up of, you know, any person. You, know, you have to make them feel like they're worth something. That way, at least they have the motivation to try to invest something in themselves. Um, because if they don't believe that they're worth anything, why would you even invest any time in yourself? You know, that's great. And I'm going to go ahead and take control of the awkward segue here because <laughs> that is what the Isaiah House does. It yeah. takes children who are displaced from their families. Yeah. And maybe they're displaced from families that are not um, great at helping children to understand their self-worth. Uh-huh. And they take these sort of these children who are displaced and lost in the world and they try to give them a home mm-hmm. um, so that they can start building up that, hey, you're worth something. So and and that's that's something that's deep. You know, and some of us are working the rest of our lives to figure that out and to come to terms with that. It's not I mean it's not like a program you can download and go, yeah, I'm worth a lot. You you, you hear the thoughts that creep in you're ugly, you know, you're, you're to this, you're to that, you're not enough, you're not enough. And so it becomes a lesson that has to like go deep into who you are. Right. 
And sometimes you have to unlearn some bad thoughts mm-hmm. and bad thinking that goes on. And what Rhonda's doing, I think you're right, Dr. Becky, is mm-hmm. helping kids before they develop those horrible self-images of poor worth right. so that they can take care of themselves and take care of others. I mean, we're wearing masks as we record this, and, and it's become such a hot-button issue. But I wonder for a lot of people who don't want to wear a mask or don't see the need or aren't even willing to do it if they don't think it's necessary, but they're just doing it because they're trying to contribute what they can. It does come to a question of like self-worth. Like, I don't really, I'm not going to do good for myself, let alone others, because I don't see the value in me. Right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that is part. You've got me. That's a truth bomb. It's a truth bomb. Truth bomb. Do you, did you make up the term truth bomb? No, I, I, I'm sure I heard that somewhere. <laughs> heard it somewhere it's on, just on another reflection of how hip and with it I am. Yeah, just as Susanna was thinking <laughs> at this yeah. very moment, right? My mom is so hip and way to ruin the moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Rhonda, that's Paul's my it. job, right? That's I'm you, a mom. That is totally... My mom, my mom' job is to ruin the moment. <laughs> You're good at it. Thank you. Love you. I love you. Susanna brings truth bombs into your life. Oh, Lord. She's the queen of the truth bomb. And some of them are, you know, her truth and not anybody else's truth. But it's there. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. So Elijah's like pointing at our stopwatch, at our timer, (laughs) and saying, hey, it's time to wind up this intro and and bring in our guest. So um, without further ado, we're going to talk with Rhonda Paulson. And um, and learn all about what motivated her to do good. Get ready for a truth bomb. The guest we've been waiting for since the idea for doing good, the podcast was born, is here. Rhonda Paulson, founder. Woo-hoo! What is your title? That feels like a lot of pressure. That's a Gosh, lot of pressure. That felt like a lot of pressure. Um, <laughs> founder, founder and executive director of Isaiah One Seventeen House. It's so Ooh. good to have you. I'm so excited. Welcome to yes. doing good, the podcast. Yes, awesome, Rhonda. And um, we we were. I mean, we were talking just a little bit about how you were uh, the first person that popped into my mind to have on the podcast. Um, because I do um, think that the work that you do is um, so important and so valuable. And I have a lot of admiration for how you were able to tap in and identify the problem, which was children who had been displaced from their families having some place to bridge the gap. Um, and I know that this is a very real problem. Um, and it has been a very real problem for several decades in this area. And I don't think it's just this area. I think it's other places too. But the reason why I knew this was because I did my pediatric residency training here in East Tennessee um, with uh, Quillen College of Medicine. And when I was a resident, um, one night about 2 a.m., I got a phone call um, because I was on call in the hospital. That's what you do when you're a resident. And I got this phone call from the ER doctor. And they said, hey, we have this kid down here in the ER who has been placed into foster care um, and doesn't have any place to go. So we need you to admit him to the hospital. Mm. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, me as a resident who didn't want to work that hard anyway um, and (laughs) also didn't want to work that hard at two o'clock in the morning was just like, well, what's what's wrong with the child? You know, are they sick? Is there something we need to address? And the ER doctor said, no, there's nothing wrong with the child. They just need some place to go. Um, and I was just like, this this is crazy. You can't put a well child in the hospital um, because they're not going to be a well child for long. Right, if you put right. them in the hospital, right, right. they're going to get something. Um, they're going to get sick. 
And additionally, insurance isn't going to pay for it. What mm-hmm. kind of admitting diagnosis do I have? Um, because that's something that you have to do when you're admitting a patient to the hospital. You have to come up with a diagnosis that is something that the insurance companies will recognize as a medical diagnosis so that they pay for the hospital stay. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, long story short, I dragged myself down to the ER grudgingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt bad for the kid, although it's really hard for me to feel empathy at two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's not her best time. No. <laughs> um, so I felt really bad for the child and so dragged myself down to the ER and I'm sitting there writing orders with a little bit of smar- snark going on. Mm-hmm. So my admitting diagnosis was babysitting. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. And I, I got in a wee... Was there an wee, insurance code for that? I got into a wee bit of trouble for that. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it was a wee bit anyway because um but anyway um so it is a very real mission and service that um i say 117 house is providing and um and i have great admiration for that so we are super excited that you are here today to talk with us that well, was i'm honored because when Thank i you. saw this i mean i know that everybody's feeling this way but the pandemic is really sucking life out of me. Like, I mean, I just, you know, and so trying to find joy and try, there's yeah. so much good going on, but that is not what you're hearing no, about at not. all. Yeah. And it is really life sucking. Yeah. And so when I saw this pop up, I was like, oh, yes, they're going to talk about people doing good things. And yeah. then you called me. It's like, oh, I get to be on there. So <laughs> thank you very much. Little did you know, you were like the first yeah. person Dr. <laughs> Becky thought of. Um, oh, I'm honored. That's I'm honored. her sort of moment, light bulb moment. What? How? Take us back. What? What? Uh, when did it come to you, and and to your husband Corey? Mm-hmm. What in the world is going on here? How did it start? It really was through the process of going through foster care classes. You were, you had signed up to we do it. We signed up to take foster care classes. I signed us up. Told him we were going on a date. <laughs> Oh, you are really bad. I mean, I feel like you should know your man. And I feel like I knew my man. What, you could get him in the car that way, right? Yeah, he was like, I'll get mom to watch the kids. You shaved for that. Yes, yes. And we did go out to eat to Bonefish. But when we left, I was like, want to drive out to Crossroads Christian Church? And he was like, on our what? date. God, you are dirty. And I don't know if he thought we were like one to marital counseling. Like, oh, like you know? it's an intervention. <laughs> He's like, do you have a letter? And I'm like, no, I don't have a letter. So we drive out there and the parking lot's full. And he was just like, lots of people dating at the Crossroads Christian Church. Oh my gosh. so weird. We walk in, we even saw some college friends that we didn't know were going to be there. And yeah. so now he's really probably thinking, what is happening? And then the lady stands up and says, welcome to your eight-week study of foster care. And he was like, what? You have two glorious, beautiful, healthy children. I do, I do. So yes. your life is full. Yeah. We At the time, Sophie was 12. Well, at the time of foster care classes, I mean, they were probably 11 and 8. Wow. Yeah. They've been going on a long time. Yeah. Board. yeah. You, you, you both have careers. You both have lives. Yeah. And I need to stay, sit in this for a second yeah. because I think for so many, that is the, that's the no-go. I can't. I have no yeah. margin. I can't do this. You were there. Mm-hmm. Well, and even my family said that. Like, even my family would look at me and say, what are you going to do with a baby? Like, what are you going to do with another child? Where are you going to put them? Rhonda, you work full time. And I just kept looking at them and saying, if I just told you I was pregnant... Would you be saying that? Like, you'd be saying, okay, we'll figure this out. You know, like, it's just such a different, you know. um, But my family did not understand. My church didn't understand. And that was shocking to me, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, You know, so many people would come up to me at church, and this I'm telling you the truth. This is the quote over and over again. They would say, 
You're doing foster care? Yes. Well, I can't even go to the pound. <laughs> what? To get what? a dog. What did you just say? I don't even know what you mean but right that now. Was a, they were being honest. Yeah, they were being honest. They were, And so no one seemed to understand why would you disrupt lots of questions about why would you do this to your biological children? Mm-hmm. Lots of that. What, mm-hmm. what about your biological children? And, you know, all these concerns. I really just felt compelled to go take the classes. And if there's one thing I learned through this whole journey, it's literally one step at a time. Like I couldn't get overwhelmed with where's the baby sleeping and we're just going to take the classes and then we're going to see how we feel. Mm. And then we're just going to, and then we're just going to like, that's been this whole process. And so it's just one step at a time. And so we signed up for the classes. Um, I remember that first night, Corey was so mad at me. And um, they left notepads. God love you, Corey. Yeah, no, I I love you, Corey. They left little notepads and he would pass me little hateful notes. And and then they had a list of like, and this was so serious and heart-wrenching for someone that's in a good place. But for someone who's angry with their spouse, maybe not. They put a list in front of you and you had to kind of circle children you felt like you couldn't take in your home. And it was like maybe you didn't feel like you could assist a blind child. Maybe you didn't have a handicap accessible home for a wheelchair. You know, like, so for me, I am literally pouring over this list and like, how can I say I would say yes and then say no to these children? And I'm like almost in tears and really tormented by this list. And I look over and Corey is circling this one thing over and over and over. And then he just shoves the paper at me. And I look down and it literally said, poop slinger. Oh, no. And he said, I don't want one. (laughs) He was so mad mad that first time. But he did did not say he wouldn't go back. He did not say he wouldn't go back. And so um, I always tell people, I don't know what it says about our marriage, but we literally did not discuss what happened. Like we got in the car Mm -hmm. and we drove home without Mm -hmm. saying a word. And then we lived life like normal. It wasn't like we were mad. Like, Mm -hmm. good morning, good morning. Mm -hmm. Who's getting the kids? And then like the next Thursday, we met in the driveway and just kind of nodded at each other. And got in the wow. car and did not speak a word to class. Oh, I'm just mad. And sat through. Like, I mean, it was just like, we were going to do this, but we're not going to talk about it uh-huh. um, until week three. And we were coming home week three. And um, I always say he finally broke the silence and he said, I don't want to do this. Uh-huh. And I said, fair enough. I mean, yeah. you have been a good sport. I tricked you into it. Yeah. We've made it three weeks. Fair enough. And I really thought that we were done. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, don't fair enough me, Rhonda. Uh-huh. And I was like. And he said, you and God have wrecked me. He's like, I'm a wrecked man. He's like, now I know. Now I've heard the statistics. Mm -hmm. Now I know how many children in our county alone. Like, now I know they just need love and a place to sleep and someone to feed them breakfast and take them to school. And we so can do that. Like, we have the love to give. We have the means to do this. Like, we can't say no. Mm -hmm. And so... For us as a couple, that was a turning point for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. So that was key because now we were on the same page. It wasn't I was trying to talk him into anything. You know, we were on the same page. But really the moment Isaiah 117 house began, and neither one of us knew it at the time, week seven of that class, they had us go to the DCS office oh. and meet there. And yeah. so you walk in, and I've been in a bunch the across DCS the state office. and in Indiana mm-hmm. and in Virginia. Like, you walk in, and they're all oddly the same. There's a lobby, you get buzzed back, there's this sea of cubicles that you get lost in, and there's some conference rooms. So we were sitting in the conference room, and it was no color, no windows, state-issued furniture, phones that plug in the wall, conference Mm -hmm. room. And um, the gentleman leading the class said, when a child is removed from their home, they come here. And he kind of just, and I thought, 
well, why would you bring a child here? And so I raised my hand and I said, I'm sorry, sir, but when you say a child comes here, like, what do you actually mean? And he said, a little girl slept on this floor last night. Mm. Now, in that moment, I believe with all my heart now, I couldn't have told you this then, with all my heart, I believe that God truly opened my eyes to a world I did not know existed, and he allowed me to feel things I did it like I'm sitting in that room and I'm physically feeling what that child may have been feeling. Like that's what it felt like. Like mm-hmm. all of a sudden I was like really scared and really confused because I was just at school mm-hmm. and now, and mm-hmm. now I'm here and I don't know these people mm-hmm. and really lonely, like nobody's getting it mm-hmm. and somebody's making copies and somebody's talking about what lunch they're going to have that day and a fax machine's going and, and I'm just all by myself And then really the emotion that got me is I felt all this guilt all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And I thought she thinks she's She's, done something wrong. She Mm -hmm. thinks she's in trouble. She thinks she caused this. Mm -hmm. She thinks, you know, and that was overwhelming to me that this child that had done nothing wrong, Mm -hmm. had done nothing to deserve any of this, Mm -hmm. was sitting in a conference room feeling like it was her fault. And I heard God say, these are my children. What are you going to do? Mm. Oh, my gosh. That was the moment. Okay, so. You, yeah, goosebumps. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Becky calls it a truth bomb. Yes. A truth bomb. That was your truth bomb. That was a truth bomb. So I'm curious, though, you, you know, you, you're, you're now stepping into the world, identifying that there is this, this idea of a child who is in the foster care system. And I know for you, that's just like common knowledge what that is. But these are children who are coming from what? Why are they in the system if, if someone doesn't know the answer to that? And I don't think many of us honestly do. How do they get there? Um, lots of drugs. For mom the and, parents. Mom and dad are on This drugs. is basically a mom and dad problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, neglect, severe neglect, abuse. Um, a lot of This is what a lot of people don't know, and this is what I was told in the foster care classes, and I've heard several times since, and I will never forget again. A, to remove a child from their home, that child has to be... Uh, there has to be an imminent threat of harm or death. It's like bad. That's how severe it is when a child is finally removed from their parents. That's how that's how severe it is. So a child has been removed from a situation where there was imminent chance of harm or death, and then they're taken to the Department of Children's Services to wait to find out where they'll be going. But, but you know, too, that's all the child has probably yes. ever known. So the child doesn't realize that that is bad or that is something wrong. This child still loves those mm-hmm. people who mm. brought them into the world and who are even abusing them. So, you know, I mean, that's powerful that, you know, you, you, you identified the guilt mm-hmm. that that child has um, about, you know, how did I cause this? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's why you tell it like I did. If you had told me about removal day when I was an educator mm-hmm. as a mom, I I would have celebrated that. Like, mm-hmm. yay, that child's going to be safe right. and they're going to go to school every day. Next and week. you assume they're celebrating. And then you, you're assuming that they're relieved. Yeah. And, that they, and then when you start seeing it through their eyes, mm-hmm. like they just lost mama. And they want mama. Like the e- only mama they ever knew. They only want that's all. And that's what they want mama. Even if she's drug addicted. Even if. They want mama mm. and they just lost their home. And that's a big thing for people. It doesn't matter how, how dirty or nasty, or if it's a home you would never set foot in. It's their, their home, home. Mm. their room, mm. their possessions. Like they just lost all of that God. in a moment. And they, 
they don't even know why because mm-hmm. it was their life. They did it, you know, they want mama, they want to be back home, they want their possessions. And here's the other thing that my eyes were open to. Because we always have a shortage of foster parents, mm-hmm. children are having to go to other counties to be placed, which means they just lost their school. They oh, just yeah. lost their teacher that they love and that's been so kind to them and has encouraged them. They just lost their friends that they eat lunch with. Like literally every aspect of their life just came crashing down. I remember we had three little girls visit the home on the very first day of school one year. Your home? At the Isaiah 117. House oh, that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and there had been a situation and there were three little girls and one was preschool and she was swinging and the other two were school age. And they were both so mad, like anger, because they wanted to go to school. And they were so excited about seeing their friends. And why can't they just go to school? And I remember one girl in particular was just crying. Mm. And do you know, because this is how big our God is and how good our God is, the volunteer that was on call that day was her teacher. Oh, Oh my God. And when she walked in, she said, I was looking for you today. I missed you. And they sat and hugged and talked. And she told her all about the day and how much she'd been missed. And I thought, God is so good. Yeah, he's here. So So you're fostering. You have kids in your house. It comes time for, I'm sure the transitions start to happening. I mean, was it right away, Rhonda, that you knew we've got, I I have got to help or do something to create a place for children to go while they wait for a place? Because that's what Isaiah 117 is. It's a place for children to go where they can have a home, right, while they wait. Don't let me define that. You tell me. Yes. So I always say that moment in that conference room was the beginning, but I had no idea. And what I really always want people to hear, um, and I think this podcast is a great place, a great, you know, format for that, is... In that moment, I had no idea what I could possibly do. I was a cheer and dance coach and an adjunct anatomy professor at a local college. I had two children. (laughs) You know, like, what is it? I work in a cadaver lab and pick up pom-poms. Like, what can I possibly do about, I mean, about a foster care system that is clearly broken? Broken. You know, like, and so in that moment, I knew that was God speaking to me. But I still said no. Hmm. Like my actions did. I did not physically say no to God in that moment, but I got up out of that class and I went back to my life mm-hmm. and I did not start making plans for how I was going to help his children. Mm-hmm. I did like, it was too overwhelming. It was too big. Mm-hmm. But what I want people to know is God is speaking to all of us mm-hmm. all the time, Amen. all the time. There is nothing special about me or that it, all the time through mm-hmm. his word, through, through prayer, mm-hmm. through an interaction with a person that kind of things that happen to you constantly, yep. constantly. Good and bad. Good. Yes. Like he is speaking. He's working and redeeming and moving all the time. And he is inviting us into that work. And I will never understand that until the day I can stand before him and say, why would you want us to help you? you know? <laughs> but he does. Like mm-hmm. he invites us into that work. And in that moment, it was just too big. It felt too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And with my actions, I said no, because I went right back to my life. Mm-hmm. And then in November of 2015, we got a call for our first foster placement. And just like in that conference room, I felt like my eyes were open to that child. 
this day my eyes were open for foster parents. You know, we get the call. It's 3.30 in the afternoon. I'm doing after-school stuff with the kids. I had a thing I had to speak at at Milligan that night. Uh, Mac had soccer practice. I mean, it was just like one of those hectic days. And they call at 3.30 and they say, there's a nine-month-old little boy that needs a home. And you don't have a car seat no. or a crib or mm-hmm. diapers Nothing. or anything. Mac yeah. is nine. We've not yep. had a baby in our house in nine years. Yep. All that stuff's gone. Yep. And in that moment, how do you say yes to that? Like, I don't even know why I said yes. I remember saying to the lady, I'm going to do something very uncharacteristic. And she was like, okay, what's that? I said, I'm going to ask my husband if this is okay. And she was like, that's a good idea. I was like, like, I'm going to go out on a limb here and bring him in on this conversation, you know, Um, which is really not my usual. And so I called him at work and I said, tell me you'll love me no matter what. And he Oof. said he wrecked the car. I oh. said, no. <laughs> I said, tell me you'll love me no matter what. And he said, what's going on? And I said, we're about to get in the hottest mess we've ever been in. Yeah. And he said, there's a baby. I said, there's a baby. And he said, I'm on my way. And I remember, yay, Corey. Yay, Corey. Yeah. Um, there was so much energy in that room right then because Sophie was like on cloud nine because she had loved babies loved her whole babies. life. Like, I mean, just wanted a baby. Mac all of a sudden was backing out of it. Like he knew all about it, but he was like, a boy, I don't want a boy. Yeah. And you know, he was like, Duh. I only do sisters. I've got yeah. sisters. <laughs> he was like, I'm the only grandson. I'm only nephew. I'm the only, no, yeah. we're not taking a boy. Corey comes in and he's like, ah, you know, yeah. and so I'm taking all this in as the mom. And I'm like, we just need to get in the van. Let's go. We go out to our driveway and there's a flyer under our windshield wiper. Like if you're at Walmart, but we're not, we're in our driveway yeah. in Elizabeth. So I grab the flyer. We all jump in. Corey's starting the van, and I looked down the flyer, and I was like, y'all, we can do this. They're all just looking at me, and I turn it around. There's a picture of a penguin. It says, motivational penguin, you can do this. Because <laughs> God is funny. It is still on our refrigerator. Oh, my god! I didn't even know penguins were motivational. Yeah, but they anyway. are now. So they are now. Uh, motivational <laughs> penguin, you can do this. I don't know. So we we go down, and we, we pick up our first foster placement, whose name is Isaiah, and... Now I'm realizing that the outfit he has on is way too small, mm-hmm. and that's because they tried to wash him at a drug testing sink mm-hmm. and find something to fit him. Good God. He has one possession, and it's a roach-infested diaper bag. I was literally told, don't bring that diaper bag in your home for the next 12 to 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I just said yes to a baby that has an outfit that's too small and a roach-infested diaper bag, and we have nothing. Mm. And I had made one call before we left, Amy Jensen, if you're listening. I called Amy Jensen and said, Yay, Amy Jensen! Jensen. (laughs) I said, say a prayer. We're going to get our first placement. Well, Amy did way more than pray. She brought on the phone. And by the time we got home, she was there with a bathtub and wash and a towel and a new outfit. She's like, this baby's going to need a bath. And she, like, grabbed him up. And then people just started showing up with high chairs. And Mary Tipton and Tommy Tipton were set up a crib in our guest room. And baby monitors. And... Myra Norris and her husband showed up with money and said, go buy a car seat. And like literally Vanessa Wood showed up with diapers and wipes. I mean, for the next two days, our entire community just kept showing up Mm. with literally everything we needed. Mm. And I just kept thinking, if Isaiah's mama had had this kind of community, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have Isaiah. Mm -hmm. And what about the foster parents that don't? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you say yes, even if you want to, Mm -hmm. if you don't have this kind of support around you? Mm And so that was really the second moment that Isaiah 179 else was kind of mulling around, but we still didn't know it. So Isaiah was your baby. Isaiah was my What baby. was Isaiah 117, which is referenced to something even bigger? Yeah, so everybody, okay, so the church is confused. My parents are confused. Everybody's confused. But from the moment he came in our home, there was more joy, 
there was joy we didn't know we were missing, more laughter, more energy. We weren't sleeping and it didn't even seem to affect us. Like it was God really showed up. And that's what I want people to know too. Like if you're feeling like God is urging you to do something, he's not going to leave you. Like when you step out in obedience, he's right there and he makes a way because he's calling us to obedience. And then because he's so amazing, he blesses us for stepping into obedience. And so literally it was like the presence of God was so strong that we started making a joke that we had our own little prophet Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And so we would go in in the morning and we'd say, what's your message from the Lord this morning? And he'd be like, dah, 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 you know, and um, so we decided to start reading through the book of Isaiah again. Mm-hmm. And so we landed on Isaiah one seventeen, which says, do good, seek justice, take care of the widow, defend the cause of the fatherless. But if you look at that verse, and you always need to do this, you need to know the context and what comes before it and what comes after it. And if you look at Isaiah 117, God is speaking to his people, and he's actually quite frustrated. And I think about God looking at us now and saying, this is what you think I want for my people? Like, this is how you think I want my people to spend their time and their resources? You know, he's like, I don't want these new moon festivals. I don't want these, like, what I want for my people is for you to do good and seek justice, take care of the widow. And defend the cause of the fatherless. And, and so that was the beginning. That was the beginning. Wow. Yeah. That, so, yeah, super powerful, super powerful story that I, I don't know how anyone could listen to that and not say to themselves, gosh, darn it, I'm going to do what I need to do. <laughs> um, so, uh, but but tell us where you are now. Um, this is the part that is, blows my mind. <laughs> So that was Carter County, yeah. Tennessee. If you're listening to this, that's Northeast Tennessee. Yes. Carter County, Tennessee in 2017 lost their minds and jumped on this train with me of what if there was a home. Mm-hmm. And in less than a year, we had a debt-free home that was beautifully remodeled for free, a fully funded first year's budget. Every closet was full. Every cabinet was full. 40 trained volunteers. And we were ready to serve the children of Carter County. So now these children who are displaced come that they don't sit in that horrible conference room mm-hmm. or God help them get admitted to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to the Isaiah house mm-hmm. and there is somebody there to show them love, to take care of their needs and to make sure that their next step goes smoothly. Exactly. And that's just, I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff. But, um, but I have always operated. So when I was having to leave my job at ETSU and open my own practice, I I saw this billboard, right? It's God speaking to you every day. And it says, the right idea will fly. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's and that and that is how I knew if what I wanted and felt like I needed to do was right, that all the roadblocks were gonna go away. Mm-hmm. You know? And I was gonna be able to do what I felt like I needed to do without um, without harm to myself or my family or, you know, or undue sacrifice or that sort of thing. And I think the Isaiah house has a powerful witness to that. So, I mean, just tell everybody where you are now. Yeah. So Carter County and then, and we thought we were done because yay God, we had a house. Um, and then Washington County started saying, could we get one? And then Green and then Sullivan and then Nashville took notice and the governor and the commissioner of foster care came and, then they said they wanted this to be the new standard for foster care, children entering foster care across the state of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so at current, we have, we'll have we have five open homes by next month. We have 20 expansions across the state and into Indiana. We opened our first out-of-state home in Indiana. They actually had their first visitors last night. Oh, my gosh. We are working with Georgia, 
35 states have reached out in two countries saying they want an Isaiah 117 house. Mm. Um, and I'm telling you, we had a little visitor, Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs. Uh, yes. Yeah, he showed up. <laughs> and after that, that's when 35 states reached out in two countries. Mm-hmm. And at first, it was so overwhelming. I remember I was on the, a video call with a lady from California, mm-hmm. and there are 8,000 children in custody in her county. Like, we have 250 in Carter. We have about 300 and 323, 30 in Washington. 8,000 children in custody small in town. one county. That is a small town of children in, yes. who've been separated from their parents and either are in homes or are waiting. Yes. And I just... It really paralyzed me for about a month. Like I would just cry and cry. And it was the same paralyzation I felt when Isaiah first came to us. Mm -hmm. Because every time I would be rocking him, I would think how many more Isaiahs are out there. Mm -hmm. And it was overwhelming. And maybe that's one of the messages I would want your listeners to hear too is, Mm -hmm. yes, the problem will feel too big. It Mm -hmm. will feel too overwhelming. And so 35 states of 8,000 children. But then very quickly, I was reminded that's how big our God is. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how big God, like, I don't have to figure all this out. I don't have to make a plan for those 8,000 children. I'm just going to do today. Mm-hmm. And today we opened a home in Indiana that's serving children. We're going to have a talk with them about how that went last night. And today I was talking to another county in Indiana. And today I'll talk to Georgia. And that's what we'll do today. Mm-hmm. And God's going to do what God's going to do. And don't you think that mo- those moments where you are just like, I can't do this. This oh. is huge. And this is too big for me. And I can't do it. But don't you feel like it's some little thing that said, that makes you stop? It, it That kind of takes the wind out of you for mm-hmm. a minute. And But it's a little thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And if you step back and you take a breath and you just do that little thing, the whole thing just opens up yeah. for you. Yeah. And and that's what I want and I really need people to understand. It's like you can do it. It's, it's literally taking that first step. Exactly. And, and then, then there'll be the a next, next first one. step. <laughs> yeah. And then there'll be a next first step. Right. But it's literally one step at a time. If I had ever stopped and looked at the big picture, mm-hmm. I would have been too overwhelmed to go on. Mm-hmm. But today Isaiah needed me to say yes to being a mama. Mm-hmm. And today I needed to, you know, talk to DCS about what if there was a home. Mm-hmm. And today I needed to pray about forming a board. And like it was literally one step at a time. Rhonda, I think for, as I think through this, I, so many things are probably popping in people's head as they think about, okay, maybe for me, it's not foster care children. How can I do good in my community? I think so many of us approach and, and approach, I'm probably like you did, like, I don't have enough. I, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough space. I don't have enough margin in my family, enough money. About, and what do you say to people who live are living in that when whatever it is that they have to do, however old they are, that I don't have enough here, but well, I see the need. It's just for the record, I'm not perfect at this either. I was in the shower this morning and I thought if I don't get outside of my head and my worries about my immediate family and school next year mm-hmm. and if I don't get out of my head and look around and see who else is hurting, what other who who else needs me to call them today and check on them, then, you know, I'm just I'm just wallowing in this pool of selfishness. And God is always calling us to move outside of ourselves and outside of our comfort zone and outside of that space where we feel like we have enough and we can handle this because that's where he is. Like he's always there. So when we hold on and we stick over here, and we say, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough energy. That's all us. Mm. But when we step out and say, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough energy. But I'm going to say yes anyway. That's where God is. Mm. And there is so much peace 
in that place. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make sense because mm-hmm. you think, how could there be more peace in like if I'm giving up more of my time and more of my money? That's where the peace is. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's where the peace is. Not yeah. circling and protecting. Yeah, and that. that's that's awesome, man. That's good stuff. And anybody who listens to that story and doesn't say to themselves, you know, there's something I got to do. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even, I can't even, but yeah. Okay. Our teens are going to talk to you, but I'm before, so before we step out of the way, I want to ask you, where can people find out more about you? How can they get more about Rhonda and the mission of Isaiah 117? Um, well, you probably don't want more about Rhonda, but if you want to hear more about Isaiah 117 <laughs> house, go to our website. We'll have all of our locations there. We've got all of our links to all of our different Facebook pages, but it's Isaiah 117 house.com. Okay. Yeah. You have teenagers, so this part of the I'm podcast so will be I fun for you. Because <laughs> we, were, we were turning it over to them, but they started stretching. <laughs> they're like, get out of Warming the way. Up. Warming up. <laughs> Thank you, Rhonda. Uh huh. No, teenagers are my favorite. I don't understand elementary school teachers. That's a lot. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Hi, Rhonda. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're doing good. We're, yeah, we're doing good. <laughs> are you? We're great. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, I'm Susanna, and we know each other. We do know yeah, each you other. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, you haven't met me. Um, my name's Elijah, so um, it's nice to meet it's you. It's nice to meet you, Elijah. Yeah. yeah, my daughter Sophie and Susanna are the same age and gone yeah. to school together forever. And so, yeah. Going to be big seniors. Seniors. Yeah. How old are your kids? Um, Sophie is 17, Mac is 14, Isaiah is 5, and Eli is 3. Wow. Yeah, we're covering a, it all. That's a lot. I, yeah. Sophie had a curfew of eleven forty-five last night, so I was up for that. And Isaiah and Eli were shooting Nerf guns at five forty-five this morning. Oh, that's nice. Where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we really loved your story, and we've loved everything you've had. To yeah, say it was so really fascinating. Really Thank fascinating. You. So, just to start off, we just want to ask you this question: From okay. your perspective, um, what can teens be doing in their communities? You know, how do we start? I think the beginning is getting over that hurdle of I'll do that one day. Like, I feel like there's so much of once I get to college or once I graduate from college, once I'm married, once I like one day when I grow up, I'm going to help. I'm going to give back. I'm one day when I start my career, I'm going to no. it's now. Yeah. Like it's totally now. Like there's absolutely things that teenagers can be standing up for and speaking out against and you know, rising up together, like now, like it's not one day. And so I think that if you could get that out of your mind, that one day I'm going to do good and give back to society, then it opens up to, okay, then what could I do today? Because age is just a number. It's just a number. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. Number. Totally agree. And that segues pretty well um, into something I was thinking, which is, do you think that uh, for people that want to do good, um, to do good, you have to be proactive mm-hmm. in about searching ways to do good. And you can't just let those opportunities um, come to you, even though those opportunities do come. Mm-hmm. Um, you really have to go out and step out of your way to try to find those. Yes. And I remember very specifically, I remember I was walking up Sutton Hill at Milligan College. And I remember saying out loud, I was by myself. It was before cell phones. So nobody was on their phone. Um, I was walking up the hill and I said, God, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know how you could use me, but I will do it. And I mean it. And I meant it. Like in that moment, I meant it. And I remember I walked up, I rounded the corner, and I ran into this guy that led their missions organization that traveled to Mexico. He was like, we were just talking about you. Would you be willing to be our student 
organizer and liaison for our Me- Mexico uh, medical mission trips. Yeah. And I remember I looked up and I literally started laughing. And from that day forward, that has been a consistent prayer of mine. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know how you could use me, but I will do it. And I think an earnest prayer from anybody at any age saying, God, if you will show me, I will do it. If you will, you know, show me the door, I'll walk through it. What I think that is the best place to start because yeah. I really believe he will. And it's not a matter of what age you are. Like yeah. he's, he, he loves it when his people say, use me. Yeah. And he, he loves that. That's yeah. such an important mindset to have for people our age that are wanting to do good wherever they are in life. Yeah. And it's, it's very inspiring because, um, especially for people our age, you see, it's very hard to just trust everything in anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, yeah. there's so much, um, nervousness about day to day things. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, that's just, it's really important. Well, and I think about, you know, I think about Susanna and Sophie and going into their senior year and all the, you know, oh, senior year. And I think about all the things we could be sad about and we probably should sit and wallow in a minute and be sad about. But I also think that in these moments when we don't know what the next day is going to look like, we don't know what the next week's going to look like. We don't know how we're going to visit colleges or take the ACT. Like when there's so much unknown, what better time to just rest in Jesus? Yeah. Like, you literally can't figure yeah. it out right now. You can't make a way right now. And so that's exactly where we need to turn. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like now is the time for teenagers. So you know what? This isn't at all what I thought the school year was going to look like. I don't know what it's going to look like day to day or week to week. So Jesus, how can you use me this year? Yeah. Um, and so. Exactly. We're and making I, the best of it. And I'd say this year is also going to be, you know, for so many people, it's going to be real time of changing. You're going to see mm-hmm. a lot of people come out of this, you know, learning um, how to do um, good, how to become leaders in their community. Um, and I think you're also going to see a lot of kids come out of this hurting. Really yes. Bad. And so what a time to, yeah, yeah. to step into What that. a time to show love mm-hmm. to everyone. And yes. kindness. Yeah. Oh, y'all, we got to be kind. <laughs> Teenagers, we got to be <laughs> really? kind. Yes. We really, really have to be kind. Yeah. Yeah, they can be brutal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you've had experience with that because you have your own kids. <laughs> well, so. I was a teenager. I taught in high school. I've got a teenager or two. Yeah. yeah. Just got to be kind. Um, have you seen, uh, because you've, you've seen a lot of hardship and all the different things mm-hmm. um, through the work that you've done. Have you seen that the, the good that just the average person in any situation in life can do? Oh, my word. Like... You know, by the time that you're 45 and you've been in church your whole life and, you know, you've had your ups and downs and maybe you've become a little jaded with the the institution or, oh, my word, the leadership. And, you know, it could it could just be a pretty dark place, honestly. And what Isaiah 117 House has done for me is reminded me that it's not that God's people don't care. They don't know. And once they know, they care. And so it has opened my eyes up to there are so many people that care deeply and will go out of their way and will get up at 2 a.m. and come and love on a child and then write that child letters for months later because they were so impacted by them and their story. And they were people that will, you know, small children will hold lemonade stands. And one child in particular, you know, she held a lemonade stand 
took that money, went and made a slime kit with the cutest little ingredient, like uh, recipe cards. You want to make pink slime. You want to make glitter slime. Um, and then she made a whole baking kit um, of cookies and, you know, whisk and all, and brought it to the Isaiah house and set it on the counter because she was like, I think if I was here, I would want to make slime and I would want to make cookies. And that's where all the children go. And that was a child that did that, you know, and how many teenagers have decided I'm going to give my birthday money or I'm going to do a drive at my school or, I mean, just to see how many kids, teenagers get this mission. And I don't know if it's because they think, what if I wasn't with my mom? Like, oh my word, if I was going through my hardest day ever and somebody told me I couldn't be with my mom, or if they think, I think that was that kid in second period. Yeah. I think that's what happened. Like, I don't know what it is, but it resonates. And I've seen so many children, youth, teenagers, like step up and just give and Absolutely. give and give. Yeah. yeah. Everyone has empathy to some extent. Oh, right? yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah oh. So, yeah, that is, uh, I don't know. It's pretty amazing. Um because the scope of it is so big now that you ever um, anticipate how big <laughs> it was going to get. No, no. And um, yeah, it, it, it was, it was, it was God. We were supposed, the, the micro show was supposed to air the week later than it did. And we had this whole PR campaign that we were going to watch parties and it's coming. And on Sunday night, the night before they called and said, we're airing it tomorrow. Like we had like 12 hours notice, like, Oh, Okay. And they aired the show. And that first night, I think we had a million views. Wow. The very next Monday is when COVID hit. And that show had 9,000 views because it just got lost in the midst of all the. And I thought God literally picked us up and moved us and put us here. So he wanted us here. He wanted almost 2 million people to hear about this. And so he's not going to leave us now. So that's where I have to hang because it can get real heavy real fast. Like, oh, my word, and yeah. different cities and different states. And yeah, but I'm not doing this. We have a hashtag at the Resource Center. It ain't us. And it ain't us. And so I just got to rest in that. But yeah. he did this. He's growing it. He's moving it. We've never once sought expansion. And so he's not going to leave us. Yeah, that's cool. amazing. Oh. Rhonda, do you have any questions for the team? Well, I wasn't prepared, but I'm sure I can come up with some right now. Um, yeah, I want to know, like, what are you passionate about? Like, what are you feeling like God is saying, I really think you need to do this, or I'm calling you to this, or I'm, you're feeling moved toward? What are the things that are pulling at your heart right now in the midst of all of this? Or even if that feels too personal, because we just sat down together. Um, what have you seen other teenagers, and you see them, like, feeling drawn to or called to or what are you seeing in your age group um for me personally that's something i'm working on like with this podcast it's really sparking in my mind what can i be doing mm -hmm. in my community um a personal experience my youngest sister we were actually talking about her earlier she like you said um children of that age group really do like to help millie mm -hmm. loves um to be active in the community you could say millie um one time was raising money for Ava Corum, is that her last name? Yeah. By riding this giant tricycle she has and putting kids twice her size in the basket to raise money for her cause. It's really inspiring to see people our age and younger. Oh, yes. Yeah. Active in the community. Uh, yeah, I'd say for me, I, I do like uh, working with kids. Mm -hmm. And um, I also do like helping people. Uh, 
I, I, I enjoy helping people and maybe improve their, um, themselves like through health or mm -hmm. whatever that is. Um, that's, that's what I'm interested in, but, um, just helping people in any way is, um, something I'm working towards. And this is helping me to, uh, be more open-minded towards anything. Well, I love that. And yeah. I love that you are part of this podcast because I do think we have to stop worrying about our likes and start talking about how we're going to help others. So yeah. yay, yeah. yay, yeah, Josh, fun. yay, Becky. Yeah. Yes, yes. I think we're probably going to have to um, start to wrap up, but uh, we just wanted to thank you. Thank uh, you so much. Oh, it was great. Today. Yeah, it was um, really great to hear everything you had to say. So um, yeah, thank you. And uh, we hope that everything with the Isaiah 117 house goes well. Thank you. Um, and yeah. continues to move forward. Yeah. Well, every day at 117, if you want to set your alarm, 117 p.m., say a prayer. Yeah. That's what we do. So not 117 a.m. <laughs> you might be up. 170, but... yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that does it for our first live in studio doing good podcast guest. And um, thank you. Uh, please uh, like and subscribe. We're on all the major um, podcast platforms now. And um, and uh, this podcast will air on um, August the 15th. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So um, we'll be looking forward to hearing us all talking again. So thank you, Rhonda. Thank Josh, you. did you have anything else you wanted to say? Yeah, go Isaiah 117. Go Isaiah 117. Yes. Right. All right. Okay. Thanks, y'all. Have a great day.